This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 130, Storing Cash in Storage Units, with Chris Benson. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Do you watch that show, Storage Wars? Uh, You know, I think it's one of the most popular shows in reality TV. I think there are 12 seasons in at this point. Started back in 2010, if you can believe that. Uh, But, you know, there's a big reason why. People in this country are packing out storage units, uh, and there's just no getting around it. It's it's an industry that's here to stay. And for the right person, for the right investor, you might be uh, be able to participate in some of the returns. Of, the, of that industry. You might not get on Storage Wars. I uh, hate to break it to you, but you can still uh, stash some cash away by investing in storage units. And uh, that's who I have brought on our show today to talk about this. Chris Benson is the Chief Investment Officer of Reliant Investments, a subsidiary of Reliant Real Estate Management. Reliant Real Estate is one of the top 30 commercial storage unit operators in the United States in 2018. As Chief Investment Officer at Reliant, Chris's investing philosophy has always been about changing the paradigm of trading time for money. Chris knows the only thing in this world you cannot create is time, more time. And I couldn't agree more with you on that, Chris time with your family, and ultimately time doing the things you love is the most important thing. Investing in real estate has always been his path to passive income, and he's passionate about sharing that opportunity with others. In the last 12 months, the Reliant team has invested over $96 million in self-storage products, and they've raised over $38 million from investors. So with that introduction, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Chris Benson. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and journey on how you uh, became the person you are today? The business side of things, uh, my background, Mark, is after college, I actually started in uh, business-to-business sales. I worked for a company called ADP, selling payroll. And uh, my corporate career was really built around um, multiple uh, corporate sales jobs. Most recently, uh, my last corporate job was with Intuitive Surgical. Uh, they're manufacturers of the Da Vinci robots. Some of your listeners may uh, recognize that technology. It's an incredible technology, incredible company. And so, um, you know, one of the uh, one of the things along the way that I found, Mark, especially as I started to get older, is um, that the trading time for money model um, was a challenging one for me to wrap my head around. And I did understand that there was a time where I needed to shift from you know trading time for money to making my money make money. And so what happened was I, I started getting into real estate um, and you know, there are many phases of sort of my real estate investing journey, um, but I started with uh, a, a number of uh, small residential multifamily projects, uh, got into some larger commercial multifamily, um, and then about three years ago, shifted gears into the self-storage asset class, which is, uh, which is where I am today. And uh, we're buying and, and running self-storage facilities uh, across the Southeast. So at a super high level, that's kind of how we got from graduating college to um, what I'm doing today. Uh, let me know how much detail you want me to go into from there. 
Sure. Well, you know, so you've niched down, which is a strategy we recommend a lot of business owners take, which you didn't just get into uh, entrepreneurship. You got into um, a type of real estate investing that specifically focuses on self-storage. And you mean things like, uh, you know, where you might go to put your extra couch or those extra uh, taxes, tax boxes or uh, banker's boxes that you just can't squeeze into your homes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about where the um, markets are for self-storage? What kind of um, world we live in? Uh, someone once told me that there are more self-storage uh, facilities than there are fast food joints or something in this country. Is that correct? Can you give us a bit of background about where the industry is for self-storage? Yeah, it's a really... Uh, so to answer your first question, you're right. Self-storage is those facilities. If you have listeners who are on a major highway right now, if you look off an exit ramp and you live anywhere near a population center, you probably see a self-storage facility. You know, it's those big metal boxes with garage doors on the outside. And, and in some cases, you know, that three or four floor building, glass and brick with a whole bunch of garages inside. Um, and interesting, you're right, Mark, that the statistics around storage are pretty staggering. Um, one out of every nine Americans in the United States now utilizes self-storage. And what's more interesting about that is out of those people who use storage, more than half of them have enough space um, at their house to store the things that they're storing in the storage facilities. So it's an interesting mindset that, that our self-storage consumers have as far as why they use storage. Um, you know, some other statistics, you bring up the fast food joints. There is a statistic that there are more storage facilities in the U.S. than there are Starbucks and McDonald's combined. Um, so it's a pretty it's a, a pretty big industry, and primarily that growth has happened, you know, call it in the last ten to fifteen years. It, it really, comparatively to some of the other commercial real estate asset classes, is very much in its infancy. You know, if you were to compare it to something like apartment complexes that you know literally started um, in the '40s and '50s and have had multiple you know market cycles since then. Well, so who are the types of people that have storage units and why would someone want to invest in storage as a asset class? Well, I mean, as far as consumers are concerned, um, it's everybody. Uh, you know, 60% of our, our tenant base is typically women. Um, and I think that probably lends some insight as to, you know, why they're not storing these things at home. Um, but we have our, our residential customers, you know, that, uh, that are, you know, like you and I, who maybe, you know, we have an extra patio set, or like you said, there's tax boxes or something you may not want in your home. And we go out and use storage to, to do that. Um, we have our commercial tenant base, which is, you know, if you think of kind of the smaller mom and pop operator type, you know, painter, contractor, um, those types of people use storage as sort of a, an office or, or a flex space. And then, you know, um, we have, um, what we would call like our military-based people where you have people who are relocating for longer periods of time and storage kind of acts as, you know, that home base for them. And, and each one has its own dynamics and certainly the markets that, that we're in are um, very dependent on the type of people that, that we get. That makes sense? It does. And, and who, tell us the kind of person that makes a choice to invest in self-storage. Uh, it seems like it's going to be the kind of person that has an interest in, you know, not having fussy tenants, 
<laughs> you know, because boxes and, and uh, lamp, extra lamps don't usually need a bunch of plumbing fixed, I suppose. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about who specifically uh, would really be a good fit as, invest, as an investor in storage units. Yeah, I think when, when you talk about investors in storage, there's, there's two types, Mark, right? You have people who are direct investors um, who want to buy the property themselves. And then you have investors who are, are passive income investors where, you know, they want to be perhaps an equity contribution, but they don't want to deal with, you know, running the facility. You know, I think the reasons why you invest in storage, which is, I think, what, you know, a, a good question that you had asked previously that I didn't answer is, you know, there are, there are really three pillars of why I went to storage, and I think they're relevant today. Um, and, and I'll walk you through them really quickly and can give you a reference to the data set that I used to do my original homework. Um, but there were three things that I looked at, and, and one was just overall returns, right? And the data set that I use as a comparator is called the National Association of REIT Data, and it's NARIT.com. And, um, you know, your listeners can go on and see it's free data. And they have a data set of over 25 years tracking the individual publicly traded REITs across all asset classes. So it's a really nice comparator to see, you know, apartments versus storage versus retail, office, basically anything that has a public REIT, um, you'll find that data there. And Chris, and just, to, just oh, to spell out uh, REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. Can you explain what that is for, in two sentences for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. Sorry. Um, so yeah, REIT basically is, think of it like a mutual fund of real estate projects. So instead of a mutual fund where they're buying individual shares of stocks of many different companies, in a REIT, um, the operator essentially is buying um, multiple properties, real estate properties, and the returns are being driven off the performance of all of those properties. Awesome. Okay. So you have this data set from 25 years looking at uh, different uh, REITs and real estate investment trusts. Tell us a little bit about what you found in that data. Sure. So I was a multifamily investor. So the first comparator I looked at was just overall return and storage returned just under 17% in that 25 year period. And, and that's, how does that compare to other real estate asset classes? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. So, you know, commercial multifamily was just under 13%. Um, retail and office uh, were a little bit less than that. And to give you a comparator just on the equities market, you know, the S&P 500 in that same 25-year period did just over 7%. So, really, it was an outperformer. And when I see that, the next thing I want to understand is, well, what happens in a downturn? And from so, you go back and look at that same data in 2007, 8, and 9, and storage lost less than 4% of the market. Um, and when you compare that to apartments lost just under 7%, um, 7% you know, retail and office got hit pretty hard, losing double-digit value in that time period. And then, you know, again, as a baseline, the S&P 500 lost um, just over 22%. So um, not only did it return really well, um, but it also had this downside protection. And I think the hypothesis behind that really, Mark, is um, Americans don't get rid of things. <laughs> you know, you, you, when times are good and they have disposable income, they're buying things. Um, and fortunately, many of them end up in storage. And then when times are bad and they're downsizing, um, they don't get rid of their stuff. Um, and I don't know if it's a, a hope of a better day, like, hey, I'm going to need that um, or just American materialism. But what we found, I think, in the industry is um, Americans just don't liquidate their items no matter what the economic climate is. 
So those are the two of the three pillars. And then the last pillar that really drove me to um, making a big move into storage was um, self-storage. There are about 25% of the industry is owned by six publicly traded companies. So there are five REITs, as we had just mentioned, there's specific self-storage REITs, companies like Public, um, Public Storage, Extra Space, you know, CubeSmart. Your listeners, if you start looking out your window, you may start to see some of them on the side of the road. Um, so there are five REITs, and then the sixth publicly traded company is U-Haul, and they own a, a very large portfolio of storage. So the other 75% of the market is very disjointed and fragmented. So there's a great opportunity for you know, a self-storage operator like us um, to go in and consolidate some of those opportunities from you know, what I would call a mom and pop operator, somebody who owns one or two facilities um, and you know, uh, essentially create a business plan around um, creating some operational efficiencies there. And how do you evaluate the landscape uh, and know which storage services and self-storage uh, spaces are worth putting into a portfolio and which ones are better left untouched. You're saying from a property by property basis? Correct. What are some, yeah, what are some of your metrics to know what's a successful place where you can add significant value, increase ROI, cash flows, and so forth? Sure. Yeah. And commercial real estate, the name of the game really is NOI growth. Um, and that, that stands for net operating income. And basically that's just your revenues minus your expenses before debt. So, you know, the NOI is how these properties get valued. Um, and what our goal is, is at Reliant is to grow NOI, because if we do that, then we're ultimately growing the value of the property. So we have a, an acquisitions team. Um, John Cordova is our director of acquisitions, and, and he runs our team looking at the properties that we're acquiring, um, but not too dissimilar than any real estate asset. Location is critical. Um, what's interesting with storage is it's a very micro market. So meaning most of our tenants, 70 plus percent, come from a one, three and five mile radius. It's not like an apartment complex where there are amenities or a school district that tenants will drive for. It, it really is a business of convenience. So it has to be close to either your house you know, or your job for, for it to make sense for you. And so for us, um, really digging into the one, three and five mile radius of population demographics you know, are, are people moving into that area? Um, what the income uh, looks like, the percentage of renters versus homeowners. Um, and those types of things are the pieces we're looking at. Um, and then because of our experience and, and um, one of the co-founders of Reliant has a, a really deep understanding of storage, has been in the industry 20 plus years and has done um, development deals, uh, retrofits, all kinds of different projects. So we'll look at almost anything, Mark. We're pretty opportunistic. Um, where a lot of operators won't, you know, development gets them nervous um, just because that may not be their strong point. So, you know, I think uh, there, there's a lot of things we look at, but but not too dissimilar than you would with any real estate asset as far as making sure basically there are people there who can be your tenants. Well, and there's a number of things that you can do to sort of improve the specs on a place, you know, adding, who knows, security cameras, uh, air conditioning, um, mood lighting, whatever you want for your storage. <laughs> sure. uh, but, you know, what, what are the, well, with the benefits of 17% uh, returns, uh, that's 
that's awesome. What are the what do you see are the risks and why would someone choose to do this as opposed to the stock market overall? And I think anyone could say that 17% sounds like a juicy number, but what what could go wrong? What do you see are some of the potential hazards of investing in self-storage? Well, I think if you're going to be a direct investor, meaning you're buying a property yourself, uh, you're going to want to partner with someone who has a, a substantial operational experience because storage is a very operationally intense business. Um, keep in mind the leases in storage, different than apartments, are only 30 days. So it's good and bad. You can really impact occupancy quickly, but the, the vice versa can happen as well, where you can lose occupancy very quickly as well. And really, the, the people running your facility are a critical component to that. So I would say for your listeners who are looking to a direct uh, real estate investment where they're buying their own property, boy, I would really be partnered with someone who has a deep understanding of the, the operational side of the business. If they're looking for a passive type income stream, um, you know, that's where companies like ours, like a Reliant, are helpful is you can partner with, uh, you know, professional real estate organization and Reliant was started back in 2005. You know, we have 48 properties across seven states in the Southeast. Um, and you can trust that, you know, their operational expertise is going to be what drives your returns. I think the, the reason that most people are looking into these types of asset classes, uh, Mark, is one, the returns, but two is a diversification tool where you're looking for some sort of non-correlated asset um, to the stock market. Meaning if the stock market goes up and down, the value of this asset may or may, it, it does not follow. That's what a non-correlated asset means. So most of our investors, that's what they're looking for is, you know, they like the asset class or they like real estate and some of the benefits of real estate, no matter what asset class it is, um, like a tax depreciation or, you know, tax benefits using depreciation, um, leveraged returns. And I'd be happy to talk you through those things. But um, the investors mostly are saying, I want something that diversifies me um, uh, out of the stock market and maybe creates some passive income along the way. We really believe here at Not Your Average Financial Podcast in things that are non-correlated to the broad market. You know, one way to talk about that is if all of your eggs are diversified in 12 different baskets, but they're all on the same truck when it goes over the cliff, what good did <laughs> our diversification do us, right? We need some more we need some of our eggs on other vehicles. Uh, Non-correlated assets is the fancy $2 term there. So way to go, Chris. Um, <laughs> what are some of the tax advantages of uh, using this asset class, you know, specifically for investors that are looking to take advantage? Maybe they don't want to directly um, run or operate this self-storage. Um, mm -hmm. They don't want to babysit boxes, but maybe they want to participate in this and get some tax advantages, um, you know, uh, what are some of the tax advantages of this asset class? Yeah, and I think this is broader than just storage. Um, this is the tax advantages of investing in real estate on a whole. Um, the, the big one is depreciation. And for your listeners who aren't familiar with that, essentially what it means is the IRS basically allows for us to depreciate the value or drop the value of our property every year because everything in the property is a year older, right? So the roof, the asphalt, the landscaping, the electrical systems, the flooring, everything in the property is a year older and thus worthless. And we can write that off as a paper loss um, each year. And so what it does is whatever that value of the depreciation is, it shields, meaning um, it 
blocks any of the income that's coming from that property. So let me just give you a quick example. If, if we made $100 in profit on a particular property, but the depreciation of that asset was $200, well then for the IRS's purposes, we lost $100. So the $100 profit we made goes into our pockets tax-free. Now, when we sell the asset, um, you're, it's called a recapture. You're going to pay for that depreciation, but you're doing it instead of the, the profit on your sale, as long as you hold it more than one year, your um, profit is taxed at long-term capital gains rates versus ordinary income, which at least as the tax code stands right now is significantly more advan- um, advantageous to the investor. So that's, that's really the main tax efficiency is the ability to shield um, some of the, the passive income from these properties with depreciation. It's tremendous. It truly is. It's one of the remarkable parts of our current tax code. Uh, and Chris, one other clarification question. If folks are just simply wanting to passively invest and not directly invest, so to speak, or own it themselves with their own name on the title or, or their own LLC or something, do they still, as a passive investor or a silent partner, would they still get those tax advantages? So you're going to want to double check with who, who, the structure of whoever you're investing with. That's actually one of the downsides of REITs, right? Is if you invest in a REIT, a real estate investment trust, um, you do not get that pass through of the depreciation. Now, how Reliance structures our deals and, and most people who um, syndicate their deals, which just means they take their deals out to investors um, to fund the equity portion of that property most pass through that depreciation. I know we certainly do. And, and it's, it's something that um, you want to double check and make sure you understand if you are going to reap the benefits of that tax depreciation. Perfect. Thank you for that. Very helpful. And of course, everyone check with your accountants to, you know, mm-hmm. over everything you're hearing here. Um, Chris, what else? What would you want to make sure our listeners understand or know about Reliant, about yourself, and about maybe one of the lesser known, but very interesting um, alternative ways to park money and watch it grow? What would you like us to, to learn and, and take away from this episode? Yeah, I mean, I think if, uh, if you're looking for some non-correlated asset, um, I, I love real estate. I, I love many asset classes in real estate. I just happen to think there's a great opportunity in self-storage um, right now based on that consolidation comment I had made earlier. And I think for your investor or for your listeners, Mark, the key, right, is is just understanding, um, and I think it's the goal of your podcast, is understanding that there are more things out there than, hey, I'm going to invest in my 401k and hope that money manager, you know, gets me to retirement. There, there are a lot of things that you have the opportunity to go and explore. And in real estate, in my opinion, is, is one of the best, um, you know, not only for the tax depreciation, but also for the leveraged returns. I mean, think about it. You're, we're using mostly in our properties, 65% of the property's value is being covered by a bank. So we're using other people's money to drive the returns. And what other investment vehicle do you have where you can do that, right? Where you're benefiting from other people's money and you're paying an interest rate on that, certainly. Um, but hopefully if, if you're doing your homework right, um, you're buying properties that's far going to outweigh that. So I would say that that's, that that's one thing to think about with real estate. And then, you know, the other piece is if you're looking for passive opportunities where you say, look, I like the idea, but I don't have the time or the energy to go out and buy my own properties. 
you know, partnering with companies like Reliant are great opportunities for people to get exposure to the asset class, but without the work <laughs> or the risk of, hey, I'm signing personally on a self-storage facility and I may not know what I'm doing. Um, so that, that's the goal. I would just say to all your listeners, as you evaluate these passive investment opportunities, a key component of it is, you know, who you're partnering with, right? Really do a good job with your due diligence um, around finding um, the, the why and who behind these companies and, and certainly their track record because ultimately in these passive income opportunities, you have um, most of the control going to the operator. So you just want to make sure that they're going to be a trusted partner in good times and bad. Thank you, Chris, for all of the wisdom and insights you've given us today. I truly appreciate it. I know our audience does as well. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Is there a specific place or website you'd like us to check out if folks want to learn more? Sure. It, if you check out chrisbenson.com, and it's actually spelled Chris with a K, so it's K-R-I-S-B-E-N-S-O-N.com. Um, there's a lot of educational content on there around uh, just learning more about real estate. Um, we do a bunch of a video uh, education series on it that it's all free and you're welcome to uh, to learn more there. If you're interested to learn more about Reliant and our platform, if you go to um, ReliantInvestments.com, uh, there's a, a, a bunch of information on us, our track record, and uh, certainly can get you to, uh, to future opportunities as well. And I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn, Mark. If, if your listeners want to reach out there and, and connect, I'm happy to do so. Thank you for everything you've shared, Chris. And uh, we look forward to seeing what kind of opportunities come our way as we dig into this asset class with you. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. So as you can see, self-storage provides a really unique opportunity, I think. Uh, definitely not your average mutual fund in a 401k, that's for sure. You can invest in this successful asset class. Uh, it's continuing to improve returns and provide results for investors in the last five years, I'd say. And I liked what he said about uh, recession resistant. You know, people are going to be packing their stuff away in good times and bad. And even in the downturns, they're not as likely to sell all their stuff, at least not their memorabilia and nostalgic, you know, coffee cups and, and uh, tax returns and things that they keep in that storage unit. So take a look at that asset class. Reach out to Chris if you'd like to learn more. I wanted to wrap up with a special announcement, and it's really more of a, a brief comment and discussion with our wonderful partner and friend, Monika Sawyer. Monika was on our show a few weeks ago as the Blissful Investor. And I'll be um, privileged, actually, to be one of her speakers at an upcoming virtual summit I wanted to invite you to. Uh, now, it is a Real Estate Investing for Women Summit, and I'll let Monika give all the details here in just a moment. But even if you're a dude, totally listen to this uh, short five, six-minute interview with Monica, I think there's a lot you could take away and maybe even someone you know who could participate in this upcoming virtual summit. I am so excited about this. So I am I am launching the very first Real Estate Investing for Women Summit. Yay! <laughs> and it's going to be on March 14th and 15th. Awesome. Okay, so that's March 14th and 15th, 2020 as you're listening to this. So if this is after that date, sorry, you missed it. But <laughs> if you're listening to this January, February 2020, uh, what can we expect? My purpose is this. My heart work is about helping women to 
really create a life of bliss? And one of the questions I used to get the most was, Monica, how can you be blissful if you're feeling broke? And it really is true. You know, money can't buy happiness, but it sure makes things a lot easier. And so I've married my two passions, real estate and creating bliss in the world. And I've created this concept of blissful wealth. So this summit is really to help women to create that bliss in their life through having wealth and then that deep sense of joy and contentment and that confidence inside that you feel like you can handle anything that comes your way, right? A lot of real estate summits are all about, let's make money. Yay. Here are the strategies. Here are the numbers. Let's figure this all out. And it's very cranial. And as women, one of the things that we can do really, really well is we can marry the cranial with the heart. And this is going to be the very first summit where you get to get out there and learn all those strategies, but you're going to learn them based on, you're going to pick a strategy based on the truth of who you are. And that's the bliss piece. We'll be talking about your resources, your goals, your ambitions, your passion, your why, what is it that you're doing this for? And then you pick a strategy based on all of those things, rather than someone told me this is a really good idea and I think I can make it work. Do you see the difference there? It's, it's unique and it's part of the reason why I believe you see things different, both in your vision for your own business, your own health, your own finances, and you're passionate about getting the word out to everybody else. And that's why I'm excited and really thrilled and honored to be one of the speakers at your event. So this is going to be a one-of-a-kind of event. Um, I have never seen anything like it because we will have virtual networking. Relationships are such a big deal. But I think that women don't have as many opportunities in the real estate investing industry to create those bonds and relationships with other women that can help support each other. Now, what I'm talking about is not just, hey, let's have a glass of wine together. I'm talking about a woman might have money, but not have time. Another woman might have time, but not have money, and they can partner together to invest. There's lots of ways for us women to collaborate and lift each other up, but we're not going to be able to do that unless we are with other women of like minds, right? So that networking piece is going to be integrated into the event, and I think that's going to be really special and a really different aspect than other summits. We're going to have lots of people talking about strategy. So I do a strategy that I only work five to 10 hours a month. So you're going to learn about my strategy, but there are a lot of people that don't have as much time or there's a million ways to make a million dollars in real estate. This summit is intended to help you to take action so that you will have a game plan by Monday morning after the summit. That's so great. this isn't a, let's do this. This is a great idea. This is a, I want you to actually take action in 2020 towards your future. And we're going to be releasing a new book that you and I co-authored with some others as well. Can you talk about that book and then give us, in addition, the practicals? What are the dates? What are the prices and so forth? The book is called Real Estate Investing for Women, Expert Conversations to Increase Wealth and Happiness the Blissful Way. And it's got authors like you and experts that really get this whole concept of let's make wealth, make our wealth in a fun, joyful way. So, and, um, and it will really support the event. Mm -hmm. You'll get to sort of see how the concepts work. For the event, that is going to be March 14 and 15 for the main event. And we will be having a VIP um, session on the 13th, so the night before. If you want to find out more, you go to blissfulinvestor.com forward slash event. 
So that's blissfulinvestor.com forward slash event. So pricing. I'm going to be really candid here with you guys. Right now, I have priced the event at $97 for the main event and $247 for the VIP event. As soon as I get 100 people, is what I'm thinking that I will start to raise the prices. So part of why we're doing this so early in the year with you, Mark, is to make sure that your listeners get t- can take advantage mm-hmm. of the early early bird pricing. You can do this all through the comfort of a virtual summit and at a very reasonable price with no hotel fees and whatever. Uh, and you still get the information and more importantly, the networking and relationships and the game plan that will put your life possibly exactly. on a new trajectory. I'd like you to tell them a little bit about what you you would like to cover at the event. I really believe that too many of us are running harried from event to event, uh, you know, with kids in the back and other, you know, uh, you know, financial obligations in the front, uh, where we're trying to run as hard as we can just to satisfy the creditors and the banks, the finance companies, and the student loan companies, the mortgages. All of it ends up becoming a burden. And really, it's a form of slavery when you come right down to it. What if you could be not just debt-free, but what if you could be better than debt-free? That, to me, brings a sense of sanity where you don't have to work an 80-hour week. Maybe you can start working 20 hours a week or five hours a month, Monica, right? Uh, where you could actually uh, benefit from and even profit from the, the interest that you're currently paying banks, credit cards, and finance companies. And that's what we'll be discussing and offerings a lot of the the women that will be at the conference, the virtual summit. So I can't wait to introduce strategies like we talk about on our podcast, but in further depth and how the bank on yourself strategy specifically can apply to the real estate investing space. Can't wait to show that to your audience. And I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited about that. It's And it's so needed. You know, part of this, like running constantly is what depletes our bliss. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think we're such good partners as both of us really get this idea of, I don't want to say life work balance. I think it's about living a life of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can be passionate and out of balance, but we should be living that, that life of bliss. I can't wait to see you, our listener. I can't wait to see you virtually there at the summit. So again, it's blissfulinvestor.com forward slash event for all the details. So again, that's March 14th, 15th coming up here, 2020 blissfulinvestor.com forward slash event. I can't wait to see you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And thank you, Monica, for the opportunity and I uh, look forward to, um, seeing what we learn together. Uh, so as we wrap up up today, again, I want to put the word out. What's your favorite or memorable money mistake? One that you've made yourself? Hey, we've all had it. No, no judgment here. We've all been there. I've made some big ones. Uh, so, you know, what's your favorite money mistake you've made? or what's, And what's the lesson possibly you learned from it? I'd love to hear your voice. Go to speakpipe.com slash NYAFP. Do that by March 15th, March 15th, and I'll send you a free book, Rescue Your Retirement by Pamela Yellen. I'll include that link in our show notes. And again, I want to just thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. 
On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.